Morning. Morning. Everybody doing all right? It's a beautiful day outside. We should move the church out there. They didn't like that idea, though. They didn't, I don't know. I throw out ideas like that that get just regularly shot down, so. Hello. This morning, we are talking about joy. What in the world are we talking about when we talk about joy? Many of us, many of us are rightly skeptical when the church starts talking about joy. Why is that? Everybody's talking about joy. BMW promises joy. McDonald's promises joy. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You have to eat at better places, all right? Eat at better places. You, we can do better than McDonald's, all right? Coca-Cola. I think it was the 60s. It might have been the 70s. But remember, the world's on fire. Vietnam is raging. Hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? That would make that the 60s if that's happening. What does Coca-Cola do? We know how to solve this. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and live in harmony. So then in comes the church into this conversation, like, hey, we'd like to talk about joy. And everyone's like, oh, I think you're a little late to the positive marketing campaign, church. So when the church talks about joy, the question becomes like, hey, church, are we writing checks we can't cash? For those of you under 30, that's like when your debit card doesn't have money and it gets rejected. <laughs> church talking about joy. I've been to church. I've been to one of those things, and uh, joy is a, a word. The joy is a word. I don't know if it's a word I would choose to describe my experience and relationship with church. So is joy something that the church is just doing as like a front door thing? Like, hey, let's all be about joy. That's how we get them in the door. Once they're in the door, we're going to work these people to death. Then we get to the really serious, like hard stuff. But we got to get them in here somehow, so let's talk about joy. We are right to be skeptical when churches talk about joy. What in the world are we talking about when we talk about joy? It's a great question. I'm so grateful you asked it. In a recent interview with the indelible Russ Moore, Rain Wilson, you may know him as Dwight from The Office, Rain Wilson, in a recent interview with Russell Moore, was talking about the office, and among many other things. And he said, when the office was over, he turned to one of the writers and just said, man, I wish I had enjoyed that more. He went on to describe his experience at the office when he got the job. It had been after many years of struggling to make it as an actor, and he finally has made it, and he's looking to the next thing. What's next? How come I'm not like Will Ferrell? How come they're not offering me these big budget movies? How come I have to be in Juno? How come I'm not Seth Rogen yet? What's going on? And then the office is over. And he's like, oh, wish I had enjoyed that more. See, many of us think like, you give me a spot on a Thursday night show on NBC. Man, I'll make that a joyful experience. I don't know if that's true. I, what if what you have now is what you'd have if you got all the things you wanted? 
Right? Like what? Joy. What does it mean to have what does it mean to be joyful? Christians talk a lot about joy, and we have rightly, we have rightly separated joy and happiness. Happiness is not the same thing as joy. And in an attempt to be clear and to separate joy and happiness, we've just been very muddy and confusing about what joy actually is. I've heard people say, like, you can be joyful. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. It doesn't matter your emotions. It doesn't matter anything. You can be joyful as a miserable human being. It's like, ah. Well, what's joy then? Like, if, if, joy, is, if joy is everything, if you can always be joyful, joy is like nothing. If you party every day, you party no days. So what's joy? What are we talking about when we talk about joy? This series, in many ways, has been working its way toward this week and next week. Well, the past several weeks, we've been talking about emotions, and we've been saying you cannot divorce emotional maturity from spiritual maturity. And it's been working toward today, joy, and next week, worship. There are a lot of lies, just straight-up lies, like let's just call it what it is, that the church tells when it talks about worship. Right? Just like cuckoo for Cocoa Puff things that church believes you can worship and not feel anything. That's, cr- that's crazy. We're going to talk about joy today, and when we do, again, we're skeptical. What's the, what is, what, what's the church selling us? And we're also, it's hard to believe, too, because we've had experiences of church. It's also hard because we, what are we talking about when we talk about church or joy? It's very confusing. What is joy? What are we talking about? It's not happiness. Okay, well, what is it? Is it just like this like kind of stoic, like response toward life, like, you know, this is really hard, but I'm joyful. You are? What is that like? I don't know. We're just waiting for heaven. Some things only heaven can fix. We're just waiting. We're just holding on. All right? It's like a, it's like a, what's that Robert Redford movie when he's alone on a boat? Remember? And it's like the rain is coming, it's like blowing, and he's just like holding on for dear life to that, and just, is that what your life is? And joy is just holding on? One of the hardest things that I've had to pastorally sit with people about is people, and this has happened to 20-year-olds, this has happened to 60-year-olds, this has happened to 7-year-olds. I've met lots of people throughout the, just the journey of life where they're just, they're just like, you know, my better, my better days are behind me. You know, I, I used to hear from God, it was really easy, and I guess now I've spiritually matured, and so I'm just not going to hear from God. That's spiritual maturity. When I was saved, it was just like, easy, bingo, bongo. I hear from God. Man, we're ready to rock and roll. Now that I've spiritually matured, I just go to Bible studies and read books. Would it surprise you to learn, would it surprise you to learn that God promises joy more than He promises eternal life? There are a lot of promises for eternal life in the Bible, but there are more promises for joy in the Bible than there are for eternal life. Joy is an end in and of itself. When we talk about joy, we're talking about this deeply relational experience. Some have described joy as that feeling when someone is excited to see us and their face lights up, that that anticipation of relationship, that's joy. Or as the theologian Jim Wilder describes it. This is how he describes joy. Joy joy is the excitement around the exchange of everything that is good in life. 
joy is the excitement around the exchange of everything that is good in life. Let me explain to you the difference between joy and happiness like this. It is campfire season. It's perfect weather here in mid-Missouri. Not too hot. I don't really think the, the bugs are out, but I don't feel them. It's great, you know. I'm not worried about Lyme disease right now. Fantastic. So we start a campfire. And at this campfire, there's the greatest thing in the world, God's gift to a world that doesn't work the way it should, toasted marshmallows. No? Yes. Skip the hot dog. We just need toasted marshmallows. We got this. All right? That's happiness. All right? I love toasted marshmallows. That's happy. You just need sugar. We're happy. All right? Imagine with me a 10-year-old Julie, though. 10-year-old Julie is at this campfire, and she's with her dad. Oh, we love being with dad. And so we're at this campfire, and we're happy. There's, there's toasted marshmallows, which means soon there's coming to be s'mores. So Julie is making her toasted marshmallow. But as happens, when you're young, you burn the marshmallow. So Julie grabs it to blow it out, and in grabbing it, she starts to trip and fall onto the fire. Very scary situation. Dad has the skills of that Reddit thread, Quick Dads. And Dad just runs in really fast. And Julie grabs Dad by the neck, and he, he rescues her from the fire, pulls her up out of it. That's joy. That's joy. There's this exchange like, oh, we're glad to be together. We're, th this is an exchange of something good. A lot of Christian writers and teachers will tell you that's not joy. They're like, no, that's not joy because that's between people. In order for something to be joy, it has to happen between God and you. Joy among, between two people, that's not joy. That's just happiness. I say baloney. That's not true. What happened in that exchange between Julie and her father is real and important. And it's joy. The reason these Christian writers are saying, well, you can't experience joy between people. You can only experience joy between a person and God, that relational happiness. The reason they say that, I get it. It's because people, while they are a source of joy, they're an unreliable source of joy. People let us down. If you date somebody, if you're in here dating, and on a date someone says to you, man, it's just a joy to be with you. I actually want to be with you more. I think all of my hopes and all of my dreams and everything I need can be met in you. Oh my gosh. Run. <laughs> Let's go to the bathroom, get the check, whatever you need to do, get the heck out of there. All right? People cannot meet all of our needs. One person cannot meet all of our needs. We have needs. That's why. We're, we're interdependent. We're co you know, all those different things. But when we expect one person to just be our source of joy, they're going to let us down. They, they are a source of joy. But they're an unstable source of joy. God is not. Oh, God is so much bigger than our friends. If you were to say that to God, he's like, heck yeah. Oh, man, and more than you know. And, and, another reason that joy is very difficult to talk about, very difficult to understand, is because you've been alive longer than 20 minutes. I love Richard Nixon, and I know that's really weird. I get it. It's very odd. Like, people give me Nixon memorabilia, and I don't even, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I have the strangest Nixon stuff in my house. It's really weird. I don't know why I like him. He just, he's 
like this outsider who became an insider who then did really bad stuff. And I just think it's cool. Not, like, not for like America and stuff, but just like, oh, that's cool. Richard Nixon once said this, right? Life is very hard, okay? It's hard to be a loser. You're like, what? That's not nice, man. See, you can just say things. It's hard to be a loser. It's also very hard to be on top. Life is just hard. It's like a little Jimmy Stewarty, I know. <laughs> I just had to commit. I was like, oh, I started. No, why did I do that? But that's how many of us go through life and experience it. Life's just hard. It's hard. And we met Jesus, and that's great. And there were some moments of euphoria. But we're going to die, and then everything will get sussed out. But in the meantime, it's just hard. It's just hard. You know, you get the phone call from the doctor who's fumbling around trying to read the diagnosis, the test results to you. It's like, just say it, man. And they're fumbling around. That's hard. It's hard when parents have children who die. It's very hard. Oh, not the way life should be. It's hard to show up at a job day in and day out that you do not find fulfilling, but it pays the bills for your kids and you promise yourself like one day I'll figure this out and I'll get out there. That's all hard. That's hard, period. And now I come here telling you, yeah, but you can have joy. It's like, yeah. Yeah, man. Spend some time in my shoes. Joy, that's a nice sentiment. That's all that is. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that makes eye contact, that stares in the face all those situations. Life is hard, and it teaches us a skill. We can return to joy. That's a very important phrase, return to joy. See, I believe joy is the natural state that we were supposed to experience the world through. We were made by a joyful God to experience joy. That, you, do, you do not have to be naive to get there. If you leave here today being like, oh, great. This is a joyful church. Now I have to just pretend to be happy all the time. I just got to be like, hey, how was your week? Oh, man. Whoa, great. It was just so great. Like, awesome. Oh, what was great about it? All the things. <laughs> all of it. It was just wonderful. I'm going to walk away because if you keep asking me questions, I might cry. That's not what we're shooting for here. That's not what it means to be a joyful person. It's actually a sign of a low joy environment when we feel we have to fake it. Joy can hold those things. When we talk, like, a thing I just really feel like I need to clarify every week, we talk a lot about creating space. Creating space is just a nice way to say hospitality. We want to be hospitable. Joy is hospitable. Joy is hospitable to the hard things in life. Joy says, come on, let's look at this. And let's do this because we can learn skills to return to joy and to navigate the world in a way we didn't think was possible. Doesn't change the circumstances. Now we can start to understand what Paul is saying when he says, I am sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You're like, how do you do that? How do you do that? It's because joy is hospitable. And we can experience that hospitality. So we're looking at a psalm this morning. A psalm that asks us three questions. It's a psalm that invites us to inquire. That's where all this starts, is curiosity and asking questions. I can just tell you, 
All right, hey, how do you return a joy? Bing, bing, bing. All right, one, two, three. There you go. Nailed it. That's not really helpful. That's kind of like that friend you go to for help. You're like, hey, I'm in a hard situation. And they just rush to advice. Right? Oh, I was asking for advice, but I really just wanted you to listen. Joy's not like that. And again, the hospitality joy offers inspires us, teaches us, motivates us to get in the game. Joy is rocket fuel. And the pain of life knocks us off our joy horses. But it doesn't kill the horse. And we can learn to get back on the horse. We can learn to say, like, I, I can pursue joy. I can do that. How do we do this? There's three questions the psalmist is going to ask us this morning. Again, we want to spark creativity. That's where creation starts, is through questions. It's not this psalm, but earlier, Psalm 27. Oh, that I may gaze on the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Joy invites us to inquire. Where are the areas that we need to learn this skill called returning to joy? That's what this is all about. Look, we're going to be just like Rain Wilson. This week, uh, a pastor, I never met him, but a pastor I respected from a distance, uh, really, really respected, passed away. And it was just this huge reminder of like, man, it's going to be over, and I'm going to be like, man, I wish I enjoyed it more. I've been so used to being that young guy. I don't know if you remember when I was uh, uh, voted in to be the senior pastor here, a lot of people were like, we do not like it. Craig is like so young. This is making us very nervous and uncomfortable. And even like the denominational rep, the, the guy from our name, denomination, I remember he said like, now I too like it when I'm older than my doctors, but you know, it's okay to get a young doctor every now and once in a while. I'm like, I'm used to being the young guy. That, I'm running out of runway. All right, I recognize that I ain't always going to be this young guy, right? Like, you know, there's not much beyond my parents' generation, and it's happening so fast, and no one's giving instructions about, like, man, here's how you finish well. Here's how you have a good fourth quarter, right? Here's how you navigate this. It just goes by, and the question Rain Wilson, Dwight, is asking, can we enjoy it more, is not optional for the Christian, Joy is not a nice addition to a life of following Jesus. Joy is central to following Jesus. Joy is an end in and of itself because it's who God is. So these three questions come to us this morning from Psalm 126. Psalm 126. The psalmist is remembering a time when it was good, when joy came easily, and they're in a difficult time, and they're like, God, hey, remember when it was good? Can you do that again? Can you do that again? Do you hear that? The psalmist is struggling to return to joy. Hey, I used to have joy. I'm in a situation. I don't have joy. God, can you do it again? And the psalmist is going to give us three questions that we can navigate, three questions that we can, we can ask ourselves which will inspire the skill of returning to joy. So if you would, would you please stand with me out of reverence for God's word. Psalm 126. Here we go. When Yahweh restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Oh, isn't that a weird sentence? We were like dreamers. Would that describe you? Are you a dreamer? Our mouths 
were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then, see, you hear that past tense. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we were, we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Yahweh. Saying, do it again. Restore our fortunes. Why are they need to be restored? They're gone. Restore our fortunes like streams in Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, how do we do this? God, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to just talk about joy. God, we want to experience joy. God, I can feel welling up in me this faith that at your pleasure, at your right hand, our pleasure is forevermore. God, give us the courage to believe that. God, give us the courage to tell the truth about our lives, to be honest about our situations, to be honest even about our hesitation to believe. God, I pray that this morning would be an experience of joy. Change the, the trajectory of many lives this morning. We know you can do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Three questions. That's all we're doing this morning. Three questions so that we can experience joy. Question number one. How can we grow more receptive of God's gifts? How can we grow more receptive of God's gifts? You and I will never learn the skills to return to joy. We'll never really understand what it means to live this fully human life if we don't grow at giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. Verses one, verse 1 says this, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Do you hear, do you hear that receiving there? The Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. At this church, we, in my opinion, rightly reject the prosperity gospel. We rightly, what's that? What's the prosperity gospel? We rightly reject it. The prosperity gospel says... If you trust God, he blesses your life with material goodness. If you trust God, if you just have enough faith, you can get whatever you want. You want that new Beamer? You know, give us money. Or, so, you know, trust more, believe more, and you get those good gifts. We hate the prosperity gospel. It is one of America's worst exports. We send it out to third world countries. We go to these people who are suffering and struggling, and we say, trust God, and he'll give you a life like an American. We hate it. It's gross. It's yucky. It's evil. And... And in an attempt to hate that, I think we've swung the pendulum too far where we now struggle to receive good things from God. In an attempt to be like, no, 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 we are not saying, we are not saying that if God loves you, you'll, your, your material dreams will come true. We're not saying if you trust God, you'll have a happy, easy life. That if you trust Jesus, like your marriage, bingo bongo, is like fixed. We are not saying that. And then we also then struggle to enjoy a good marriage. We struggle to have nice things. Like, man, I feel bad about enjoying this. That feels wrong. 
I think there's like five barriers to like really enjoying God's gifts. Barrier number one, is it dangerous to enjoy things? Some Christian tribes use the language of idols. If I like something that God's giving me, is that an idol? Like something I'm worshiping more than God? So if, if, if I really like my car, is that bad? Is that an idol? And then this other danger, what if I love the, uh, what if I, I said that backwards, what if I love the gift and not the giver? That's a danger in there too. I love all these blessings from God, but do I love God? Eh, he's giving me stuff. So we're afraid to enjoy good things from God. Another obstacle, this is a real one. We struggle to enjoy good gifts from God, like to really enjoy beautiful things he's given us because we are aware there are those in the world who don't have. And so then when God gives us something good, it's like, we're very aware, like, man, there's those who don't have, how do I, how do I really experience these gifts? Another thing, and I hear this all the time, I hear this all the time, especially around here, we don't think we deserve nice things. How do I hear that? Here's, here's a question I ask. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? This is a common response I get. Better than I deserve. And I often say, did you kill someone? Like, no. Well, why are you doing better than you deserve? Like, should you be having a bad day? Like, you know, the scripture says that God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Right? Well, I'm better than, you know, I don't deserve nice things. You know, uh, any, any, you know anything from, any, anything that's short of hell is just fine. So we struggle to enjoy gifts from God. This one's a personal struggle for me, why I struggle to enjoy nice things from God. What if I love something, I really enjoy it, and then God takes it away? So I hold things with open hands. I'm like, oh, I'm just holding this with an open hand, but really I'm afraid, like God's like, hey, do you love it? Do you love it? Gone! Woo! Now you have to learn to trust. That was just an object lesson. Ooh, that's hard. So we struggle to enjoy things. The psalmist doesn't seem to have these struggles. Look again in verses 1 through 2. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. You've been around people who laughed? It's very difficult to be fearful and laugh at the same, like really laugh at the same time. You can do like scared laughing. We've all heard that. But to like belly laugh, to just really like not worry that you got stuff coming out of your face, to really laugh, it's hard to be scared when you do that. Hard to be anxious, like, ah, if we like this, God might take it away. A lot of commentators have wondered, what does that mean when Yahweh restored the fortunes of Zion? That phrase is used some 30 times in the Hebrew Bible, and almost every time it's used, it is talking about God's unmerited favor. And many times when it's used, it's in physical things. Crops coming in. Wealth being restored. See, the, 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 the antidote to like the prosperity gospel is not to hate our stuff. That's actually a, a sign of tremendous privilege to pretend to be poor. People in poverty will tell you like poverty is not spiritual maturity. Poverty, poverty can be debilitating. There's, you lack mobility. And we're not, we're not able to help people when we like throw out, when we pretend that we're doing this like, oh, I'm doing, you know, I'm pretending to be poor. Oh, I don't like these things. I'm not enjoying these things. And if you want to go deeper in that, you should read Dallas Willard's In the Spirit of the Disciplines. He's a clunky writer, but if you read, ooh, I, didn't say, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Uh, <laughs> he's a clunky writer. He said that. But if you read In the Spirit of the Disciplines, the chapter on poverty, he just does a beautiful job of like, hey, we need to pursue simplicity. But like, but like intentionally like, hey, God wants us to like get rid of our stuff. 
is actually like limiting why God is giving us those resources. And are we growing at receiving? You should be very afraid of people who can't receive. If we're people who can't receive, that can be, that can be a tip of the hat to very prideful people. I don't need anything. I'm a self-made person. No, 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 no. I don't need your help. It's embarrassing for us to be like, I need help. I need things. This, the, there, is, there is danger. There is danger in uh, one of those concerns about loving the gift and not the giver. And it's exemplified at Thanksgiving. At Thanksgiving, we should be celebrating the feeder, but instead we celebrate the food. We should be saying, I loved you so much, I slaved away at making a bird delicious. That's not delicious. Turkey is wildly overrated, but for whatever reason as a country, we all decide, let's eat it. So I slaved away to make this thing delicious because I care about you. And then we go, wow, the person who did this, man, that's care. Let's celebrate that. But instead, we focus on the food. We can do that with God. When we do that, though, that's a sign of a low joy environment. When we receive things from God and we just love those things, and we forget there's a giver behind those things, that's a sign of a low joy environment. No, don't look at him. He might take it away. So find as much joy as you can in the gift because the giver is not good. But what this psalm says is the giver is good. Two times he says this, verse 2, and again, uh, he says this, the Lord has done great things for them. They were so excited. They're, they're laughing. They're singing songs of joy. They go out to the nations, people who don't believe this, and they're like, hey, God is great. That's out of an overflow of joy. They're talking to strangers. But God's done great things for us. Why? Because they believe God's heart. They see God's heart behind the gift. The heart. So how's it? Look, part of us, we struggle to look back. Man, don't look back. If I look back, I'm going to get stuck in the good old days. I'm going to have this mindset like, man, it used to be good back then. It's really hard right now. But the psalmist is looking back as fuel for the future. How do we get more receptive? Here's a, a, just a tangible way you can do this. I've started doing this. I started doing this a year ago. It's changed my life. It's setting aside some time to just say, what are things that bring me joy? And it doesn't have to be spiritual. Like, I really love, I love on my way home from work, when I just start a playlist, and when a song comes on that I love, that just brings me so much joy. Experts in a Dying Field by the Beths, right? That came on the other day, and I was like, man, life is so good. Just write that down. Another thing I love, I never thought I liked living in the Midwest. Just full disclosure. You got ticks, this thing called humidity. My kid, I have kids that have never been to the beach. That's on you. Yet, after dinner, we're walking on the trail, and the sky is huge. And there's purples and oranges I've never seen before. And it's so beautiful over those amber waves of grain. And I'm just like, this is amazing. This is beautiful. And I experience joy. So you think about those things. And you just dwell on those. Okay, what's, what, what's been bringing me joy? And you write those things down. All right? What did you feel? Man, I felt like a peace in my chest. I felt calm. What does that say about God? What does the gift say about the giver? What does a beautiful sunset say about the one who made that sunset? 
and who made it knowing that many people sitting under that sunset are stuck in traffic, worried about what's happening at work, checking email, anxious, and missing that beauty. It means he's got so much beauty to just throw away. He must be overdosing on beauty and goodness, and he wants to share that. Looking back, learning to receive is the first skill we need to return to joy. To be able to say, God, where have you given joy before? And what does that say about you? What kind of God are you that's so present, that's creating all this beauty around me that I don't even notice? We have a neighbor whose house I walk by all the time, all the time. I ride my bike to work. I ride by almost every day. I walk every night. It's like a rhythm. I walk by all the time. I just notice it's a tree that has flowers on it. That's weird. It's a tree with there's leaves and there's like flowers on the leaves. I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. Didn't even notice that. This, this God is so committed to beauty, he's totally fine putting all these things around you you're not going to notice. What does that say about him? Do you trust he's good? Or do you think he's just going to take things away? Looking back is a skill that fuels our motivation to move forward. Why? Because nothing will build your identity faster than joy. We let people shape our identity because we trust those people will give us joy. Why? Why is there a, a Patrick Mahomes jersey hanging in my office? Why? Because I'm part of a community that that just gives me joy. And I let that shape my identity. We let people shape our identity when they trust they're going to give us most joy. Look, I wish I could say differently about this. I wish this wasn't necessarily the case, but I just am honest. This is how it is. Part of the reason my theology is the way it is, part of the reason my politics are the way they are, and part of the reason I see the world the way I do is just because the people that shape that are people I believe are just giving me the most joy. And so what we believe is an incredible apologetic, especially to young people. Go where the life is. Go where life is. If there's life at the bottom of a Bud Light, of Bud Light can, invite me. I want to go where the life is. I want to go where the joy is. Let's chase joy together. Let's, let's chase this out. We believe God has wired the world for joy. Okay, you're, you're telling me there's joy there? Let's go. Oh, Bud Light writing checks, they can't cash? Oops. Let's go where the joy is. And looking back fuels forward movement. And that's what the psalmist knows. That's why the second question about joy sounds incredibly unspiritual. But it's what are you dreaming about? If you ask yourself, what am I dreaming about? You're going to start to really quickly see areas where you're experiencing low joy. Dream. One of the saddest things I said as being a pastor is meeting with people who think their better days are behind them. Well, yeah, God used to speak to me. I remember when I first got saved, oh man, I heard the voice of God. I felt the Spirit's leading. It was so exciting. I loved being a Christian. What happened? I matured. Now what do you do? Well, I read books and go to Bible studies and it's kind of boring. But that's mature Christianity and we're waiting for heaven, right? It's going to get great. You know, a lot of just that. No, 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 no. See, the, the, this phrase in verse 1, this phrase in verse 1, when Yahweh restored the fortunes of uh, Zion, we were like those who dreamed. A lot of people are like, what does that mean? All right, this is a really cool thing about, about Hebrew. Uh, the phrase, we were like those who dreamed, let me tell you what it means in Hebrew. We were like those who dreamed. 
It literally means what it says. The psalmist is saying, and it's a Hebrew, like it's kind of Hebrew slang for saying we're like healthy people. Why? Because when you, when you sleep and you dream, that was a healthy sleep. When God gives us good gifts, it makes us healthy, it, re- it restores joy, and restores dreams. Why? Look with me again at verse 4. Listen how eerily similar verse 4 sounds to verse 1. So verse 1, when, past tense, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like dreamers. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, Yahweh, like streams in the Negev. So there's a past tense that, God, you did this before. You did it before, and when you did it before, it expanded our imagination. We had dreams. We were like, man, God could do things we didn't know were possible. This is incredible. Verse 4, do it again. Why? So we can be like streams in the Negev. This is meaningless to those of us who live in the Midwest. If you live in the southwestern portion of the United States, this means a lot more. Uh, I remember I used to ride my bike past a, what's called a wash. In the first service, there's some West Coast people like, yeah, we know washes. A wash, it looks like a dry riverbed. And you're like, man, maybe like thousands of years ago, a river ran through this town. Crazy. Then it rains. And when it rains, that river is there again. That's what the psalmist is saying. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the Negev. The Negev experienced that area. Most of the year it's dry, then it rains, and you got to watch out. Get away from that river. It's going to flood. He's saying this. Sometimes God's gift come like a miracle, and we're asking him to do miracles. People who don't dream... Don't dream because they don't know what's possible. And that's why we're asking questions. What do we dream about? What are our dreams? God, how can you expand our imagination? I don't want my spiritual life to be this boring, well, I used to have joy. I think you can give me joy again in the future. How can we look forward? How can we be excited about the future? However old you are. Look, newsflash. If you're not dead, there is still time on the clock. You're still in the game. Can you imagine if a team with two minutes left on the clock was like, we're done, we're just it's near the end anyway. I mean, you can't imagine that. That's what the Los Angeles Lakers have been doing the last two games. But just, you know, imagine. You're not dead. You've got time on the clock. What dreams has God given you? How can he expand our imagination? Luke and I have been talking a lot around here. We do not want to go to a church that we don't want to go to. What? We're not trying to create things around here like, let's just do church. This is what people expect to do. And we'll just kind of go through the, the motions. We want to create a church we want to attend. We th- we, like, can you imagine? Like, if you're like, you know, you, you met me on like a Saturday. And it's like, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, you know i got to go to work. Oh, like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, do you like it? No. It's pretty awful. You know, you should see the people I work with. They're the worst. I just, I don't even like them. Oh, well, I'd like to come on Sunday. (laughs) Sign me up for two. No, 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 no. We're trying to create a space we want to be in. We're trying to, like, we often say to ourselves, man, if only we helped run a church. Oh, wait. We do. How can we create this to be a high joy environment that's like the kind of place that we'd want to invite our friends to? And that's our hope for all of us, for you. You own this place. We used to give everybody keys. I was about to say, we're going to give you the keys. Like, we're, we, we don't do that anymore. Like, we gave too many keys away and we, it's like we shouldn't even lock the doors. But anyway, this is yours. 
So I'm really excited. Luke is creating a space, uh, an environment in July. And we're telling you now because we're really excited about it. In July, we're creating an environment where we say, like, what are your dreams? What's your story? Like, who has God made you? What's the desires he's put in your heart? And what do you think he can do here that's not possible? You just haven't seen it anywhere else. How can, instead of saying, ah, we need kids volunteers. You, you look like you can breathe. Get in there. It's like, I don't like kids. I don't care. We need warm bodies. Rather, we'd rather have people like, man, when I was in the fifth grade, Mrs. Satterley, she saw me. She changed the course of my life, and she loved Jesus. I want to do that for the next generation. Here you go. We don't know. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, just come on. Get warm. That's a recipe for burnout. Just like, hey, we need warm bodies. You know, Jesus told you to get busy. Look busy. Jesus is coming back. Boom. It's not what we're trying to do around here. We have dreams. We want to see a place where, like, we're, our, our friends are being you, you just dragged here because you're like, man, you got to hear this. They preach a gospel we wish was true. We love this place. We want, we want to be a place where we have dreams and we think, hey, God is giving us those dreams. God, expand what we even think is possible. Do big things here. And we're not talking do big things like, let's build up some mega church. We're not talking that. We're saying, like, God, how can you do what we didn't even know was possible? We want to see miracles happening here. Now, there's a tension in this passage. Let me show you the tension. Verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Sometimes when God shows up and gives gifts and blessings, boom, it's a miracle, and we receive that as a gift. We keep reading. Verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Do you hear the difference? Restore our fortunes like when it rains and a river floods. And give us joy like when a farmer goes out and plants seeds. I just went to, is it called Strawberry Hill? Yeah, I don't like that place. And it's a great business. But the reason I don't like that place is I'm like, man, this $30 plant, I have to be responsible for its well-being. I have to take care of this thing. I have to give up every, like, what, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday night to go outside in this terrible humidity. Leave God's plan for air conditioning and head outside this terrible humidity and care for this thing. I can't do it. I'm sorry. It's too much responsibility. I got three kids. I can't do it. And I don't like flowers. There's a lot of work when it comes to sowing and reaping. And the third question we can ask ourselves when it comes to this idea of returning to joy is what's keeping us from putting in the work? What's keeping us from rolling up our sleeves and getting it done? Put in the work, like The Rock says, except without steroids. You know he does steroids. Like, people are not naturally that big, right? I don't mean to, like, burst your bubble. It's not a normal human neck. (laughs) We didn't start with what's the work, though. I mean, I really believe, and we all, the whole pastoral staff really believes what we just said. Discipline without delight is drudgery. If we're just like, hey, we want to be a church, and hey, here's a beautiful thing that's happening, now roll up your sleeves and get busy. And we're going to check in on you in a couple months. And if you're not busy, whew, watch out. That's a really toxic church that I don't want to be a part of. But we really do believe that joy is rocket fuel, or as Jim Wilder says, nothing will fuel our creativity and endurance like joy. Joy is our most powerful desire, and we grow the strongest and most stable identity from joy. It's a high-energy state for the brain. The practice of joy, listen to this, the practice of joy 
builds the strength and the capacity to engage life with energy, creativity, and endurance. When we're people who cultivate joy, we can put in the work. So July is an example of just we're putting in the work. We're going to go into this environment and we're going to like, hey, who is God making me? That's putting in the work. Putting in the work also is finding ourselves in situations. We're in a fight again with our spouse. We're in the fight again and it's the millionth time we fought about dishes. Why do you put them in the dishwasher like that? You understand we live in like a civilized place? Like how can anyone find anything in this dishwasher? This is insane. Things are not going to get clean like this. And it just stirs up in you this like ready to be defensive. But then something else gets stirred up. What's my dream for this moment? Just because I've done it a million times doesn't mean I have to do it a million and one. Yeah, that's where inertia is. But what can God do that's different here? How can I turn things around? That's work. But it's worth the work because of the joy. That's how Jesus was. Jesus did not like going to the cross. He did not have this stoic attitude of like, you know, Marcus Aurelius, do hard things. There's, you know, there's goodness on the other side. He, he endured the suffering and the shame for the joy. Joy motivated Jesus to that cross. Joy can motivate us to imagine a different way of navigating life. To be honest, to tell the truth about the hard things we're in and to say, what can God do differently here? Joy motivates that, not effort alone. And so we as a church community, we can be people who help each other along the way. Beauty is fragile at first. An oak tree, you who are not very strong, can prevent a giant oak from growing to be a giant oak when it's little. You can rip it out of the ground. You know, you can see a squirrel bearing an acorn, you go dig it up. But once that oak becomes an oak, you cannot do much about it on your own. When things are just getting going, beauty is fragile. And if we're going to be a community that's creating joy, we have to recognize the early stages of that are very fragile. And it takes vulnerability to move it forward. What am I talking about? Kurt Thompson creates these small groups that he calls confessional communities. Confessional communities are just small groups where people from all different walks of life come together to tell the truth. Like some of you are like, I would never join a confessional community. What is that? I just tell all the bad things I've done? Not necessarily though there are, there's confession in there, it's also t- just telling the truth about disappointment, telling the truth about hurt you've experienced. In this particular confessional community that Kurt Thompson was a part of, there were three people we want to highlight this morning. There's Sarah. Sarah was a part of this confessional community, and she had a lot of painful things in her past, difficult relationships with men. There were abusive men in her life. There were boyfriends who lied and cheated and, and just took a precious person and treated her like less than. A lot of pain Sarah brought to this group. Jessica was also in the group. And Jessica told her own stories about pain she had with men. There, she had a hard time trusting men. Her husband 
loved Jesus, went to church, and was a bump on a log. Didn't really take initiative, wasn't really excited about many things, came home from work, watched TV. Whenever Jessica would try to talk about conflict, he would explode. Lots of pain. And then there's Darren. Darren was about to share his story with this confessional community. And he's working up the courage because he knows who's in the group and he starts to share, this is the worst thing I've ever done. No, I don't know. But he looks at Sarah and he looks at Jessica and he sees them holding the space for him. He sees them, they're not in fix-it mode, they see him and they're just ready to listen. Whatever comes out, they see the vulnerability. They see the vulnerability and they're like, hey, we got you. So Darren starts to share. A couple years ago for his job, he used to travel all around the world and he would host these kind of conferences and consulting trips where he'd teach seminars. And he traveled all around the world and he left his wife and young kids at home. And what he would do when he'd travel around the world is he started sleeping with strangers, started becoming a serial adulterer. It became this addiction, it became this thing he hid, this thing he loved. He just kept doing it again and again. And he's afraid to share that because he's sharing it and the people who are holding the space for him, he's afraid he's stepping on a wound that they have. So he stops himself, but he looks and they're still, they're still with him. And he, in a moment of desperation, he says, I've never told anybody but my wife this. I confessed to my wife. I confessed to her about a year ago, hey, this is the life I have been living. I expected her to leave me, to take the kids, and I'd never see her again. But instead, she moved toward me. And she was hurt, and I had to do a lot of work, and we, we committed to working it out. But then two months ago, a woman in Italy emailed me, and I fathered a child. And I told my wife, and we tried to reach out to this woman. We, I, you know, I have other kids, and it's changed my world. And I, how can I be someone who's there for that child? You know, like my dad wasn't there for me, and she just disappeared. And this is the biggest secret I have, and I share it with you today. He looks. And Sarah and Jessica are both crying. And what they say to him, Sarah goes first. She says, I'm not going to lie. When you started sharing about how you treated your wife, that opened wounds for me. It reminded me of men who have hurted me, hurt me, and I'm angry. I just need to tell you the truth. I, I feel angry right now. It hurts. And, and, and this, is, this is what your story tells me does to me and I see you I see you telling the truth and I see you moving toward me and so I just I just thank you do you hear the beauty in that we're not lying about the hard life is hard we're not saying oh don't worry about that we're cool we're able to tell the truth and still move toward each other. Why? Because we create joy when we meet, when vulnerability is met with tenderness, 
joy is created. And all three of those people were extremely vulnerable. Here's my hurt. And they met each other with tenderness. How does Jesus describe himself? A bruised reed he will not break. What might be keeping you from joy this morning is fear of the truth. If I tell the truth, the jig is up. Look with me at verse 5. Those who sow with tears might reap with songs of joy. Oh, sorry. I didn't sleep well last night. Let me read it again. Those who sow with tears are likely to reap with songs of joy. Getting closer? Those who sow with tears will. When we bring our vulnerable spaces to God, it is always met with tenderness. Those who hope in the Lord will not be put to shame. You can bring your pain. You can bring your disappointments. You can bring those things that if people know it's over, and you can count on tenderness. And when we're that type of community, it creates joy. Isn't that better than pretending we're happy all the time? Isn't that, isn't, isn't that rock? If it, wouldn't you want to go to a church like that? How do we do that? It starts with baby steps, and we have to go first. We can't expect this of each other. We can't ask something of someone we're not willing to do ourselves. So, we want to just, for the rest of this, this, our time together today, as, we, as the band comes up, as we land the plane, we just want to create space. And again, what do I mean by create space? When I say create space, we just mean be hospitable. How can we be hospitable with those tender moments in our lives. So let the band just sing over you this morning. Let the band sing over you, almost like a lullaby. Just receive. Practice what we've talked about this morning. How can we receive from God this morning? Receive. And also, we have a prayer room over there. Are there things that you just need to, like, Lord, I just need to confess to you. I need to pray. There's going to be men and women in there who want to pray with you. And again, they're not, they're not promising they can be a healer, but they're saying we can walk with you to the healer. So what are the things that we can just say, Lord, here's what I need to tell the truth about. And be confident that in our truth-telling, it will be met with tenderness. Those who sow with tears of joy will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, you hear that? Seed will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Seeds to sheaves. Work is done when we bring it to him. Jesus, we know you're here. We know you've promised joy. Help us to take you up on that promise. Yeah, we pray that we would lean into, lean into your vulnerability and trust that we'll receive tenderness.
Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.